Lord, we do give thanks. First and foremost, we give thanks for the name of Jesus. Your word tells us there is no other name by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. By calling out the name of Jesus, we find the forgiveness of sin and the hope of heaven. Lord, in this season of thanksgiving, we are abundantly blessed. You have blessed us with so much. If, if salvation were the only thing we had, we would be abundantly blessed. And yet you have blessed us with so much more. And so for that, we give thanks. Now, Lord, we ask you to speak through the preaching of your word. May your Holy Spirit find our hearts open. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. You know, if you've walked with God for very long, there's likely been a time in your life when your faith has come unnerved. When, when you ask, when, when you talk to God and you're talking to God is a one-word response and it ends in a question mark. Like What? God, what in the world are you doing here? I, I can't see what's happening. Or why? God, why don't you do something about this situation? Why, why am I having to struggle with all this? Or when? God, when? When are you going to answer? When are you going to hear my prayers? Or, or where? God, God, I'm in the middle of the storm, and where are you? We're in a series of messages that we're wrapping up today called When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Some of you are living there today. Life just doesn't make sense for you. We've been looking at the book Habakkuk. The name Habakkuk means to embrace or to wrestle. And, and the book is named after the prophet Habakkuk. And we know that he wrestled with God. And as we've looked at chapters 1 and 2 already, out of this little three-chapter, two-page book, we see him wrestling with God. He lived in Judah, which was the southern kingdom when the kingdom was divided, and Judah was marked by idolatry and rebellion and wickedness. And, and in chapter 1, he cries out to God and he says, God, when are you going to revive us? When are you going to do something about how bad your people are living down here? When are you going to fix this? He accuses God of doing nothing. He says, God, you're indifferent. You don't care. You're inactive. You're just sitting on your hands. You, you are inconsistent with the judgment that you say you're going to bring. And, and so God answers him. God's, in verse 5 of chapter 1, God says, listen, even if I told you what I'm going to do, you wouldn't believe me. Sure enough, he then tells him what he's going to do, how he's going to bring the Babylonians, the most pagan and wicked nation on earth, going to have them come in and destroy Judah to bring judgment upon God's people. And uh, Habakkuk finds that a little bit ludicrous. He says, God, how can, you, how can you have the most wicked people? Yeah, we're bad, but we're not as bad as them. How can you have them come judge people that are more righteous than them? It doesn't make sense. That seems inconsistent with your holy nature. Chapter 2, God tells Habakkuk, listen, I know what I'm doing. I'm God. I got this. They're going to get what's coming to them, but right now we're dealing with you and what's coming to you. And he tells Habakkuk, he says, he says, write down the vision and make it plain so that everybody who reads it will understand. And that's what we have in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we have the vision. And in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, God says something to Habakkuk that 2,700 years later, 
or actually 2,200 years later, would give birth to the Protestant Reformation. Chapter 2, verse 4, he tells Habakkuk, the just shall live by his faith. And it was, it was that idea that so grabbed Martin Luther's heart about the just living by faith and the Protestant Reformation began. Now, some would question this, this prophet 2,700 years ago is when he wrote the prophecy. Some would question, well, how is that still relevant to our life 2,700 years after he wrote it? It's relevant in, in this. He, he's writing about a people that had fallen away from the Lord God, and he's asking God to send revival and to do something about it. I don't believe in the history of the United States there's been a place in time where we are more spiritually, morally, ethically challenged than we are today. I mean, our, our nation is divided like never before. There's disillusionment. There's disappointment. The whole country seems to be in despair. And, and, and from Habakkuk, we learned that when, when we get there, people take one of two paths. Some people take the path of fear, and some people take the path of faith. Maybe today you're on the path of fear, dealing with your finances, your family, your own personal fitness and health, friendships. The only way you overcome the path of fear is the path of faith. And so, the title of today's message is, Which Path Are You On? Take your Bibles and open them to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. Now the language, you're going to see the language suggests that this is a song. That his final prayer to God, he writes and sings in the form of a song. All right? And so we get to the very end, and that's what I want you to see. All, after all of the things have happened, this is the conclusion that Habakkuk comes to. Chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high heels to the chief musician with my stringed instruments god bless the reading of his word go ahead and be seated it's interesting the progression of Habakkuk's life as we go through these three chapters at first he uh he doubts god god what when are you going to do something about this and then he debates god in chapter two like god seriously the babylonians you're holy and you can't allow them to come in and bring judgment upon us to where we get to chapter three and he defends god he defends the ways of god there are two things I want you to notice from our passage, and then we're going to talk about how we apply that to our life today. Number one is the reality of the life of faith. The reality. See, because a lot of people don't have a, a real view of faith. There is, there is a view of, a heretical view of faith that's being taught today. A heretical view of, it's heresy. Basically, it's this, that faith is a force. In other words, that if you have enough faith, you can write your own ticket with God. If you have enough faith, you can be healed. If you have enough faith, you can be rich. If you have enough faith, you can claim whatever it is you want to claim, and God will have to give it to you. That's the, that's the heresy that's being taught. And because of the large personalities that are teaching it, many are deceived, and, and they believe that, that faith guarantees God's favor. 
Habakkuk flies in the face of this false theology. Read 17 again. Does verse 17 seem like Habakkuk is naming it and claiming it? Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. He says, listen, I know what's going to happen. Babylon's going to come in and they're going to destroy everything. There's not going to be any crops left. There's not going to be any herd left. It's all going to be gone. Now, if the name it and claim it theology was true, he'd be naming it and claiming it, I would think. By the way, if, you know, if, if God doesn't ever want you to be sick and you just have to have enough faith to, to be healed, why do faith healers die? I'm, I'm just saying, is it, is it that they lack faith? No, it's that their theology's wrong, okay? They're, they're going to die just like everybody else is. Habakkuk says, even though utter devastation comes, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He's defending God's ways. He says, yeah, God, God's going to bring Babylon in, and they are going to destroy this place, and yet I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. God, the Bible is filled with, with people where faith did not give them a guarantee of favorable circumstances. Genesis 22, Abraham, the father of the faithful. We see Abraham climbing Mount Moriah because God has told him to offer his son as a living sacrifice. Now, we know that God ultimately provided for himself the, the, the lamb, but, didn't, didn't, but he wanted to see if he'd be faithful enough to do it. He didn't get favorable circumstances there when he tells him, hey, go kill your son, the, the child of promise. It, Moses. Moses goes from the Midianite desert, goes back to Egypt where he's a wanted man, leads the people out after all of the plagues, and the people repeatedly turn on him and say, listen, we'd be better off back in Egypt as slaves than following you. His faith didn't provide favorable circumstances. Job. The Bible says there was not a man more faithful and righteous than Job. In Job chapter 1, God said that about him. You want to talk about, you want to talk about faith not providing favorable circumstances. His wife in chapter 2, verse 9 or verse 10, she says, Do you still hold to your integrity? Curse God and die. His friends come up to him and they say, Job, there has to be a deep, dark secret in your life. Some sin, because all this stuff wouldn't be happening to you if you weren't such a great sinner. He was more righteous than anybody, but his faith did not produce favorable circumstances. We see David in the cave in En Gedi. Now, why was he in the cave? Because God had anointed him to be the next king after Saul. Saul got jealous of David and he's seeking to kill his life. To take his life so that he can't be king. His faith didn't produce favorable circumstances. One more, Elijah. First Kings 18, he has enough faith to pray down fire from heaven. And in First Kings 19, because Jezebel wants his head after the prophets of Baal were killed, he's laying by the brook Cherith, depressed, and the ravens are feeding him. Faith does not always give and guarantee favorable circumstances would we say that moses or abraham or david or job or elijah uh, how do we view them today would we say they lack faith no we would consider them giants of the faith and they remind us that our health and our wealth is not based on our faith in god listen god did not guarantee that everything would would be good do you understand that 
Nowhere in Scripture does he say everything is going to be good. What he says in Romans 8.28 is all things work together for the good. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He never promises it's all going to be good. He just says it's going to work out to the good if you'll continue to follow me and trust me. See, true faith knows there's a tension. There's a line that, that, that we walk between our circumstances and our faith in God. Good Christians live in poverty. Good Christians get sick. Good Christians die. The heresy says that God is out to please you when the truth is you are out to please God by serving him, by loving him. You're out to bring him glory. He's not a spiritual bellhop that you ring the bell every time you need him to carry a bag and say, oh, by the way, now I'm going to tip you for, and don't bother me. I'll let you know next time I need you. It's not the way it works. The reality of the life of faith is, man, sometimes faith is hard. Let's talk about the second thing. The response of the life of faith. How did Habakkuk respond? I want to mention a few ways to you. First of all, revere. Revere. I told you this is written in the form of a song. In chapter 3, verse 1, we didn't read it, but it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Now, the only place that that, we don't know what that word means, but the only place it's found is in Psalm 7, outside of the book of Habakkuk. And it was obviously a musical reference uh, in verses 3 and 9 he uses the term selah which again is a musical term only found in the psalms besides here and then he ends chapter 19 it says to the chief musician on my stringed instruments and so obviously this whole thing chapter 3 is a song now do you think at this point Habakkuk had all of his questions answered do you think he really fully understood why God was sending Babylon to judge him I don't think so But when life didn't make sense, when he couldn't fit the pieces together, what did Habakkuk do? He sang. He sang. I mean, that's what what this is, is a song. A lot of faith pronouncements. This phenomenon of pronouncing faith when you don't know all the questions is found in Psalms many times. Psalm 59.1, deliver me from my enemies, oh my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Now that psalm ends in verses 16 and 17 this way, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in my day of trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. The Bible repeatedly commands that we sing to the Lord. Now, I don't know why it is. It's probably because back when we were in puberty and our voice was going like that, you know, we didn't like to sing. And, and, and for some reason, guys have more problems with singing out loud than, than women do. It just, it just is. I've been doing this 26 years, and I can see it every Sunday, all right? Is it really that big of a deal if you sing or not? Yes, it is. Let me tell you why. One is, singing shows obedience to God and to His Word. It demonstrates obedience. Ephesians 5, 18, 19, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Friend, this was written to the church, not to women, but to the church. And so we, when we sing, we are being obedient to the Lord. Let me give you another reason it's important. Because 
Singing helps you to have deep spiritual roots so that when the winds of, of, of the storm of life come against you, you hold fast. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing is a testimony to others and it builds others up. You know, if, if we've got 250 people in here singing how great thou art, I mean, that's an encouragement because to the folks who are struggling, man, they're reminded God is a great God. And so when we sing, we're testifying and encouraging others. Uh, another thing, it will strengthen you in a trial. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. What are they in prison for? Preaching Jesus. And what does it say? But at midnight. Now, I love the fact that God's Word says at midnight. Why? Because it's kind of saying that at the darkest point of the night, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Friend, listen, when you sing in the midst of life's storms, there are going to be folks that look at you, and they're going to say, there's a disconnect somewhere. You know, how, how can you sing praises to God when your life is in such turmoil? I mean, these prisoners are watching. Another thing, singing adds joy to your life. James 5, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Singing glorifies God. Did you know that there, there is medical proof? Doctors have studied, there's clinical evidence that those who sing tend to be happier in life than those who don't. I'm not, I'm not making it up, okay? I read that. that. That folks who sing tend to be happier than those who don't. Maybe that's why some of us, when we get together on Sunday morning, look like we've been sucking butter out of the bottom of a butter churn without using a straw, you know, really long-faced. It's because we don't sing. If you sing, it'll make you a happier person. Somebody asked me leaving today, one of the guys asked me, he said, well, preacher, does it, does it say I have to sing well? <laughs> I said, it doesn't. It says make a joyful noise to the Lord. God doesn't, listen, God doesn't listen to the ears. He listens to the heart. And when you sing from the heart, God says that's beautiful. It's beautiful. So we should revere. Not sure why Habakkuk sang, but it strengthened him when he didn't understand. Second thing is request. The first thing, he, the first thing that, that uh, Habakkuk does in song is to pray. He, he doesn't understand. He says, God, I've heard your speech and I was afraid. Revive your work in the midst of the years. He, he's praying to God there at the very beginning of chapter 3. How easy do you think it was to pray, God, you do whatever's needed among your people to bring revival? You think that was an easy prayer to pray? Let's put the shoes on our feet. We all, I think, agree that America deserves judgment because of our sin. I think it was Falwell years ago who said that if God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom an apology. Now, I think that's true. I mean, we deserve judgment. How easy then is it for us to pray, God, do whatever it takes to turn our hearts towards you? That's a hard prayer to pray. It's a hard thing to request of God. But Habakkuk, while he prays that, he also prays for God's mercy he says in wrath remember mercy 
Chapters 1 and 2, he's asking God to remove the judgment. Here he's saying, listen, I know judgment's coming. I just want you to be merciful. Remember mercy during the process. I think this is what we should do also. Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So you revere, you request. The third thing is you remember. Chapters three, or verses 3 through 15 are very unique. We believe all Scripture is inspired by God, and, and, and it has a dual meaning, even though Habakkuk only got one of the meanings, I think. Habakkuk is reflecting back on what God has done in leading them out of Egypt to the Promised Land. But it very clearly has an application to the second coming of Jesus Christ as well. Even though Habakkuk didn't know that that's what he was writing, God knew that that's what he was writing and would have a, a dual meaning for us. Look, look at verse 3, chapter 3. I mean, sorry, verse 5. Before him went pestilence and fever followed his feet. You know, I, I think Habakkuk is remembering the ten plagues that God visited upon Egypt. And then look down at verse 8. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? There's two rivers that's being referenced. One, I believe, is the Nile when, when the Nile turned into blood because of the judgment. And the second river is, is the Jordan River when they crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land. And then the rest of verse 8, was your wrath against the sea that you rode on horses, your chariots of salvation? I, I believe this is a picture of God's salvation at the Red Sea when, when, when Pharaoh's chariots rode into the sea when it was parted and it was on dry land and the sea overwhelmed them and they perished and God's people were saved and then down in verse 11 it says the sun and moon stood still in their habitation when did that happen that happened in the book of Joshua chapter 10 when the when the the sun stood still so they could gain the victory there's an important lesson we need to learn here when life doesn't make sense remember what you already know Go back to what you already know. Here's what I mean. If your life doesn't make sense, and you can remember some times in your life when you were in a similar situation and God proved to be faithful, remember that. Reflect on that. He's the same God today as he was then. Okay? And so remember all the things that God has done for you to bring you to the place where you are today, even if it doesn't make sense. The Bible's filled with people, when they remembered God, they prayed. When they remembered what he had done, they prayed. Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, by now he is in the belly of the fish, all right? Things are not looking real well for Jonah. Can you imagine all the gastric acid making his, bleaching his skin while he's in there? And I mean, he's out in the middle of the sea. He has no clue where he's at. And we get to Jonah chapter 2, I think it's what verse 7 says this, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. He said, man, when I, was, when I was at my wit's end right here in the fish, and he's still in the fish, what's he do? He prays. He remembers that God is faithful and he prays to him. The last thing that we do in response is rest. Do you think Habakkuk was frightened by what was coming? absolutely look at verse 16 he says when i heard my body trembled my lips quivered at the voice rottenness in my bones he, he says man when i heard what you were going to do with babylon god i was afraid 
But he says, I'm going to continue walking with God no matter what, into the unknown future. You know, when we talk about rest, we often think of waiting. We equate rest and waiting as being the, the, the same thing or, or very similar. Wait in our society is associated with inactivity. You go to the doctor or the dentist office, and they even have rooms called waiting rooms. And then they move you from the waiting room to another room that you wait in, right? I mean, they like waiting rooms. We, we, we equate rest with inactivity, but when God's Word says to rest, it never is a reference to being inactive, to not walking with God. We, we, we see it in Joel 2, Acts 2 with Peter at Pentecost, 1 Thessalonians 5. They all speak, of, Paul said, they all speak about the day of the Lord. Okay, And some people, when, when they were hearing the day of the Lord, they were thinking the Lord was coming back, and so they, they were just inactive. They weren't doing anything. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Man, there's a word for today. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they may work in quietness and eat their own bread. This is all in the context of the day of the Lord. Paul says, listen, get off your hands. Don't just sit there and expect somebody else to feed you. Continue to serve the Lord and to work until the Lord comes back. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter 3, verses 14 and then 17 and 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. Now, if you go back and read the context, the these that he's referencing is the new heaven and the new earth. And so he says, since you are waiting for the new heaven and the new earth, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. The word diligent, that doesn't suggest that you're going to get this by osmosis. You know, while you're laying there and you put, the, you put the scriptures in and you listen to the word of God while you sleep. When he says to be diligent, to, 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 to be diligent that your life is not without spot, that your life is without spot, that, that you're serving, that you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of those suggest activity. And so rest is not inactivity. When we're waiting on God, that's not being inactive. You know, let, let, let me help you apply this. Life application number one. Your problems must be presented. If you have problems, you've got to bring them to God. I want you to hear me, all right? Everybody hear me. It is not wrong to bring questions to God, or even to complain to God. We find it over and over in Scripture. It's not wrong. Now, we, we've been brought up to think it's wrong. I think, I think we, we do so. With, we, we need to question and bring complaints with, with an attitude of still understanding that He's God, but we find that in Scripture, Job and Psalms are filled with examples. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Clearly, the psalmist is questioning God. Psalm 13, 1. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? There's a complaint. <laughs> Yoo-hoo, God, have you forgot about me down here? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 44 has a question and a complaint. 
Awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Can you imagine? The psalmist says, God, wake up. Why are you sleeping? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? When your life, is, when your faith is shaken and you have more questions and you have answers, what should you do? Present your problems to God. Come to Him and tell Him. It is not unspiritual to express questions to God. It's not. The word question, the root word for question is the word quest. A search. And the only way you're going to find the answers is to ask the questions. And sometimes God doesn't answer or doesn't answer the way you want, but you're not going to get any answers unless you ask. God, God answers so back, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And then he tells him. Chapter 1, he begins with questions. You know, when, when, when life is filled with pain and questions, how should you respond? There are those who say, well... You really shouldn't question God. Now, I get what they're saying, but I disagree. All right? I disagree. I mean, see, because what happens when you don't question God, even though it's going on in your heart and in your mind, but you don't want to express it, what happens is you put that fake glory smile on your face, and when you come to church and somebody asks you how you're doing, you say, live in the dream. And inside, you are anything, yeah, not all dreams are good. Some of them are nightmares. And that's what you mean when you say you're living the dream, but you don't express it that way. You just put on that fake smile because why? You shouldn't question God. But there's a second way. When your life is filled with more questions than answers and filled with pain, you can bring your questions and concerns to the Lord. It is better to be authentic with, with the Lord. I mean, He knows all things, and so He knows what's in your heart and mind already, and so why not just verbalize the questions? He already knows you're thinking them. It's better to ask him where he is than to put on a fake smile and say it's all good. Habakkuk questions God. God answers. He complains to God. How can you use these pagans? So problems must be presented. Life application number two. Participation must persist. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in Habakkuk chapter one that when when pain hits a person's life and they have more questions than answers, they, they respond one of three ways. Sometimes people, sometimes people just check out, all right? There are people that are not here today that used to be active in church, but they're not here because something bad happened in their life and they just, they just quit. You ask them, do they still believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God, but, but they've gotten out of the habit of coming to church, offering the Lord praise, and so they just, they just check out. Other people, when something bad happens and they have all these questions, they back out. They say, well, I knew all that faith stuff wasn't true anyway. And so I don't have anything to do with God or his people because if God was real, this wouldn't have happened to me. But a third way, the way that Habakkuk handled it and the way you and I should handle it is to talk it out. I mean, he comes to, he comes to God with his questions and he talks through it with the Lord. Don't quit on the Lord and his church when you have more questions than answers. Friend, that's when you need the church the most. When you have pain and more questions than answers, that's when you need the church the most. The only way to heal is to be real. 
Hebrews 10 warns us in verses 24 and 5, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. There's going to come a day, if it's not today for you, when you have more problems, it's painful, and you have more questions than answers, what do you do? Continue to participate. You present your problems to God. And the third and final thing is praise must be personal. Praise must be personal. I can't praise the Lord for you. You can't praise the Lord for me. Did you see how, did you catch it in the text that we read this morning? Look back at verse 17 if you have your Bible open. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He says, I get it. Babylon's coming and things are going to be horrible. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. His praise became personal. I think the only reason he came to that praise is because he was willing to present his questions to God and, and he didn't stop participating in worship at the temple. He continued to do what he was doing and his praise then became personal. Tim Keller wrote a book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. I want you to hear what Keller says. This is great. He says, the best people often have terrible lives. Hello, did you hear that? Keller says the best people often have terrible lives. And then he goes on to say Job is one example. And Jesus, the ultimate Job, the only truly, fully innocent sufferer is another. I think Keller's right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God didn't stop them from going into the furnace. He could have because he's God. But he didn't. What did he do? He showed up in the furnace and walked in the furnace with them. Right? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar's counting feet in the book of Daniel. And he says, yo, didn't we, didn't we throw three guys in? In counting feet, there's eight feet in there. There's a fourth one. And he says, the fourth is like, these are Nebuchadnezzar's words, not mine. He is like unto the Son of God. God didn't take him, didn't get him out of the furnace. Stop him from having to go into the furnace. He walked through the furnace with them. And when they come out, they're able to praise the Lord when they came out on the other end. Life hard right now? Present your problem to God. Talk to him about it. Keep participating and doing what you know is right to do. And I believe ultimately you'll be able to say, yet I will rejoice. I want to close with the words of the Apostle Paul. You know, he, um, you may know the passage where he recounts everything that happened to him talked about how many times he was shipwrecked how many times he was beaten by 39 stripes within one stripe of his life one time he was stoned and left for dead um, goes through all this 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 great litany of bad things that have happened to him and here's where he ends up in philippians 4 12 and 13 he says i know both how to make do with little and i know how to make do with a lot in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Now, some of you are saying, preacher, this all sounds good, but I don't, I don't know that I can do it. Paul says, here's the secret. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, 
I am able to do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Paul says the bottom line is bad things happen, good things happen, but when they happen, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Habakkuk and the things that it teaches us about faith. How Habakkuk wrestled with you and how, how you told him to write down the vision, God. I, I believe that you told him to write it down so that 2,700 years later, a church in Bowling Green, Kentucky could hear. Hear how Habakkuk wrestled with you. How he brought to you his concerns and his complaints and his questions. And how you answered him to the place where even though he didn't know all the answers, he said he would rejoice. God, I pray that you would bring us to that place. Individually, not knowing all of the answers choosing to rejoice knowing that we can do all things through christ who gives us strength father have your will now in our individual lives and hearts i pray in jesus name amen